Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week, I am actually coming to you right now from the North Shore of Oahu. We are on a family vacation. In fact, specifically, I'm staying across the street from Hukilau Beach, down the road from the Polynesian Cultural Center in BYU-Hawaii. And the reason I mention all of that is because I think being on a tropical vacation is the perfect place to be to introduce this week's guest. It is David Jenkins, frontman for possibly the quintessential yacht rock band of all time, Pablo Cruz. So, you probably remember, Pablo Cruz had, I don't know, half a dozen top 40 hits in the 70s. This one right here, Love Will Find A Way, was probably their biggest uh, from 1978. And as I've mentioned recently, this song and Robbie Dupree's Steal Away are tied for my very favorite yacht rock, soft rock, whatever you want to call this, singles of all time. I love this song. So early 80s roll around, the band starts to kind of come apart. No, no, no major drama, just they've run their course. David goes on to front a country rock band called Southern Pacific. In the late 80s, they had a couple of hits on that, on, in that genre. Uh, he worked with former guest Stu Cook on that band. But that was pretty much it for that. And ever since then, you know, it's interesting. He's always been able to make a living as a musician. And that's primarily because of just the never-ending thirst and love for this type of music. There's always an audience for it. These days, in addition to playing a bunch of shows with Pablo Cruz, he works very closely with his wife, Jamie Kyle, who is an excellent singer-songwriter in her own right. So anyway, and we start out this conversation talking about her. So that's pretty much it. I, he, I really enjoy this conversation. I have a real soft spot for Pablo Cruz. I think they're great. I hope you guys enjoy this too. By the way, because I'm on vacation, we're gonna skip the midsection this time, but I'll make it up to everybody next week. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I loved it. He called me from his home in Nashville. Now, are you married to Jamie Kyle? Is that who you're I'm married is? to Jamie Kyle, correct. You are, okay. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. We've been wondered. married uh, six years. We've been together eight years, but we've been married six years. Okay. And we live we live a lot of the time in Nashville and, and some of the time in California. Nice. Now you were telling yeah. me about her the other day, and I didn't know that much about her. I've been looking her up and watching the videos and everything. I was going to save this yeah. part until later to get kind of more into current day. But tell me about Jamie. What? What? I mean, she's got well, her own recording career. You're kind of her guitarist.
been at it for a long time, and, and uh, she had good success with some songs that she wrote. Um, one of the songs that she co-wrote was uh, Faith Hill's first hit, which was called Wild One. It was basically about Jamie herself. They said, change your clothes. She said, no, I won't. They said, comb your hair. She said, some kids don't. Their parents' dreams went up in smoke. They said, you can't leave. She said, yes, I will. They said, don't see him. She said, his name is Bill. She's on a roll and it's all uphill. She's a wild one with an angel's face. She's a woman child in a state of grace. When she was three years old on a dad's knee, he said, you can be anything you want to be. She's a wild one running free. She loves rock and roll, they said it's Satan's time. She thinks they're too old, they think she's too young. The battle lines are clearly drawn. She's a wild one with an angel's face. She's a woman child in a state of grace. When she was three years old on her dad's knee, he said you can be anything you want to be. She's a wild one running free. And that was four weeks number one on um, I guess country charts. I don't know if it was pop charts. It might have been pop charts, but it okay. did really well. And then she yeah. also wrote a hit that that heart uh, the the last hit that Heart recorded called Stranded was her song. I love that song. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song. Standing here helpless, where do I go? If you leave me. job of it. I mean, they they recorded it pretty much the way she recorded it. She's had other people record her songs, uh, Air Supply, and a guy named Michael English, and a lot of Christian artists have recorded her songs. And, but she also had her own recording career. She put out a few CDs and albums and um, did pretty well in Europe, more so than here, although she got radio play here. She never had the kind of support she needed for the U.S. market. Yeah. You know, the ra record company um, support, which is unfortunate because her records are great. I mean, I, yeah. I listen to them a lot. It, you know, sometimes yeah. I would just put them on in the car and, and just groove to them because she's yeah. really quite, quite a good artist. But, yeah. That's so, great. I definitely Isn't heard, it funny that that a woman, someone like Jamie could write these two huge hits for other people? She's obviously talented. 
But then when she puts out her own albums, those same record labels who had no problem, you know, collecting the paychecks that came from the hits she wrote for others can't be bothered to put a little muscle behind making her stand out on her own. The record companies themselves aren't they're they're somewhat to blame, but also she had bad managers. She uh, had managers that that kind of shelved her and spent their their attention on other headline artists. I think ACDC was one of the artists that the manager also handled that handled Jamie, and he mm-hmm. didn't do anything for her. It's it's really mm-hmm. sad because yeah. had she been promoted like say Pablo Cruz had been promoted, mm-hmm. she would have been a major major star. And you guys live in Nashville. Yeah, and uh, okay. we're uh, we're always doing music. Jamie and I do concerts together sometimes by ourselves, or with. Remember Walter Egan from? Uh, I, I sure. He's been on here. Um, I correspond with him every now and then. In fact, I was just in oh, Nashville good. a couple of months ago and met up with him. Oh, good. Well, Walter and Jamie and I have got this trio that we oh. play we play out acoustically sometimes, and it's a lot of fun for you know. Um, house concerts and places like sure. the or other. Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, wow. we call it the American American Classic Hitmaker. And um, it's a lot of fun. And Walter's yeah. a good guy and a lot of fun to work with. He's great. And we have harmony. And it's really, everybody's got good songs to present. So we have fun with that. And that's wow. acoustic. That's great, man. I'm so gr- I had yeah. no idea. This is crazy. Yeah. My worlds are colliding. I know Walter pretty well. Um, oh, that's well, that's cool. Okay. And so yeah. is this primary, you know, <laughs> normally I would save these kinds of questions to the end since it's more a modern, you know, what's happening currently. But is that primarily, because one of the things we touch on on here sensitively is how musicians who aren't necessarily in the limelight anymore continue to maintain careers. How do they pay their bills? How do they, you know, stay out there and, and maintain their fans and all that kind of stuff? So I'm guessing your livelihood is made up of, Pablo Cruz shows, Jamie Kyle shows, stuff with Walter Egan. You, you're probably still making a living at music, I'm guessing, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I, I, that's pretty much what I've done, except for occasional uh, real estate. Okay. Rental, rentals and stuff. But, you know, okay. music has been the mainstay of my my existence, and I'm happy to, you know, report that. It's like I've, I've managed to eke out a living as a musician, and it's uh, – it's a pretty nice yeah. view of life, you know, from mm-hmm. from that from that position. I've enjoyed it, and uh, good. Yeah, I've done okay at it. Good. How often I'm does Pablo Cruz? Through... Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a miracle. How often does Pablo uh, Cruz <laughs> still play? We we did. We had a busy summer. We played a lot of shows this summer, and um, the band's better than ever. Uh, our keyboard player. And, Corey, that my writing partner in Pablo Cruz, uh-huh. he handles a lot of. Corey's one of these guys that that likes to do a lot of business and, okay. and deal making, and so he he does a lot of the management for Pablo Cruz, most of it, in fact. And he called me tonight, but I didn't have time to talk to him. I was going yeah. to a restaurant. I'm okay. Sure we got to talk about we we you know we're always fielding, you know, where the next next show might be. And, That's uh, great. Okay. Yeah, it is. Good. Do you guys very, ever very alive? Good. Do you ever come through Denver? I don't think I've seen you. I mean, I know I've uh, never seen you in concert, but I would in a second played, if uh, you were here. We, Jamie and I just drove through Denver. We played up in uh, at the end of the summer, the last 
shows we had were up in Park City, Utah. Oh, that's where I'm from. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, we played at a really fun theater there called the uh, Egyptian. And yeah. three, three nights in a row. Oh, yeah. amazing. And, uh, that place is yeah, great. Fun. Yeah. Great crowds and a lot of, a lot of fun. Okay. So, it, and it seems like everywhere we play, you know, they will can't have to wait to be back. You know? So, yeah. things are good. In that good. band, things are are definitely fun. That's huge. Okay. So, I um, I sometimes kick these things off with a little story about how I discovered the person I'm talking to. You, I remember very well, because Pablo Cruz, for me, I'm 44. So, you guys were wrapping up around the time that I was starting to become more aware of music and what was being right. played on the radio and stuff like that. So later yeah. in life, I um, you're one of those bands that I know the songs, but I don't know who sings them, you know, or uh-huh. were uh-huh. for years until about, and maybe you've heard this before, I think it was about 10 years ago, I'm watching that Ben Stiller movie, Greenberg. And I believe there's a, there's a scene or two in the movie where he is wearing a Pablo Cruz t-shirt. No way. Yeah, do you know what do you not know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I I think you're mistaken. I think the movie you're talking about is Step Brothers with Will Ferrell. Really? What I maybe they're in both because I I remember very distinctly going I think I do anyway. I mean, who knows? Memory gets all messed up, but I could have sworn I saw this movie Greenberg with Ben Stiller and it. Yeah, and he's going through like a midlife crisis. It's a Noah Baumbach movie. And in, he's wearing a Pablo Cruz T-shirt in it, and I thought, Unreal. "Who? I've heard that. Is that a name, or is that someone's name, or a band? I'm not <laughs> sure." And I came out of the movie, and I researched who it was, and then I put together that it was Love Will Find a Way, which is, I will tell you, that and Robbie Dupree's "Steal Away" are the two greatest yacht rock songs ever, in my opinion. I don't know how you about, feel about the <laughs> yacht rock tag. But like it or not, Funny you guys get it, right? I just got a call yesterday from the guy that that heads up the whole yacht rock thing. That you know, there's a there's a band out there that calls that does the yacht rock tour. Oh, really? And, yeah, and they have different artists, including Walter, but other people uh-huh. and Robbie, and mm-hmm. there's other people that play with them. They invite different artists to play with them. And he called me to talk about doing some dates, you know, coming up. Great. So. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah, Love Will I mean, Find we, a Way we did play with them. Away, the fact, I think that maybe when I met Walter, it was at, at a Yacht Rock concert in Atlanta that we played. No. And, I mean, there were thousands of kids there, and they all had those freaking sailor hats on. <laughs> you know, the, the captain hats. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Do you, I mean, does it, it bother is. you to be, you know, lumped in with something like that? Because I would think even though... You know, like it or not, there's sort of an endearing kitsch value to the ti- to the to the label. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't care. It doesn't you matter don't care. to me as long as whatever. As long as people are are putting together the you know. Yeah. Unlike you, John, they're putting well, together I the it title out. of the song with the <laughs> artist. <laughs> Look, I was five years went, old when that song came out. Yeah. At least you went and did your homework. That's good. I did. <laughs> I did. That song is one of my earliest memories. You know what I mean? I was wow. five, and I Isn't remember that, that song so well. But I, um, you know, I didn't know who sang it until ten years ago or whenever it was. 
And then I piece together, and now, of course, then I go out and I love Pablo Cruz, and I buy the CDs and all that kind of stuff. So I, I fixed yeah, it eventually. The, did you see the movie Step Brothers? I did. I had forgotten that he had, there was a Pablo Cruz moment in that one, too. Yeah, in fact, he's the first ten minutes of the movie he's wearing when he meets John Riley, John C. Riley, right. he uh, is wearing a Pablo shirt. And and so when that movie came out, I don't know how many years ago. It's almost ten years ago now. We went down to L.A. for the opening of the movie and the red carpet and the whole party afterward and stuff. Uh-huh. And those two guys introduced the band and we played four songs at the party and it was a riot. Oh wow! It was really something to watch Hollywood working, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they to be on the inside. Lot. Yeah, they took a parking lot and turned it into this this party environment that was unbelievable in that's, a parking lot. I mean, that's great. Amazing. Yeah. That's got to feel, cool. I mean, how does that feel? To, do you, when, do you have like, you know, does your heart want to burst in moments like that? Because, you know, you guys were, you guys finished over 30 years ago. And yeah, I know. you had hits, but, you know, they're not, they're not Hotel California level hits. So to have these guys who are like Hollywood A-listers care about you enough to have this moment with you, are you I mean, are you able to oh. take that in or is it is it extra special or no? Well, it's just, you know, at this point, after a lifetime of playing music and being on the roller coaster of, of the music business, you just get used to wacky things happening. And, and yeah. you know, that was just one of those things that was like, oh, this sounds good. Let's do this. And I remember an interview with Count Basie one time, and the guy said, "You know, you're getting up there in the years. I mean, what happens when, what happens when the, you know, the big concerts go away, and you know you're, you know, you don't have the same draw that you had." And he said, "Count Basie said, oh, man, I'll always put a little gig together somewhere.' <laughs> That's what you do. You just, you know, you play your music yeah. because you like playing it, yeah. and." you take what it gives you. And that's kind of okay. a deal that I made a long time ago with God. Yeah. You know, I said, I want to be a musician and I'll take what it gives me. You know, I hope it brings me a good life. Yeah. And it's been a good life. I, I can't really, I've been blessed, man. I've had a, a really good life behind me. Good. So that's great. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I, I've got to ask you kind of a sarcastic question. Do you ever sit back and feel relieved that you don't take as much heat as you probably should for the cover of the Lifeline album. And I say that because I had John Hall on here from Orleans. And Orleans takes a bunch of crap for that one album of theirs where they're all shirtless and, you know, sitting in tight together. The Lifeline album is 10 times. Yes, it was the same photographer, is that what you said? I think it might have been. Oh, because Lifeline is 10 times more homoerotic than that one. And I just, right. you guys never get mentioned in that, you know, worst no. album covers of all time or whatever, but it so easily right. could. I have to bust your chops about it. I hope that's okay. You know what? I only got positive reviews on that, you know? It's like, oh, killer. Well, mostly for You know, it, I, yeah. I never had, I, I've never heard negative press on it or negative reports until now. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, until I ruined it? I'm sorry. I just was looking at it. I've always thought, man, these guys, I mean, you know, I it looks fine, but it's so easily, Orleans takes all this heat, and there's worse album covers out there. You know what I mean? Well, I think the Orleans cover had a different vibe or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. The vibe okay. we had on our cover was, it wasn't 
we weren't trying to be beautiful or anything. We just, yeah. We just, you know, and we got okay. naked and shot a picture. <laughs> Why not? Right? Make it an album cover. Okay. Right. So tell me about the good old days. I mean, tell me, you know, when one of the things that I find really interesting when I talk to people are the transitions in their career. And there had to have been a moment where you were going from sort of struggling musician to a guy that can make a living as a mus- as a professional rock star, you know? You get a check, a royalty check that's big enough to go buy a nice car or a house or, you know, whatever. How were you – tell me about that transition in your life. Do you, do you have well, – is there a know, specific uh, memory that ties back to it? Yeah, there are. There's a couple. Uh, one of the things was our, our manager who's still, uh, you know, your friend, uh, who, although he's not managing anymore. But uh, at the time, you know, we were watching the songs hit, hit the uh, billboard charts and, you know, um, and watched them climb. And I, I would always go – well, are we famous yet? He goes, no, you're not famous yet, but it's, but it's looking good. Uh-huh. And and then, you know, we started getting a lot of dates, and, you know, there's some TV stuff coming at us, and, you know, Dinah Shore and Mike Douglas and all, uh, Merv Griffin and all this stuff is coming at us. And I said, Bob, are we famous yet? He goes, not yet, but it's really looking good. <laughs> and then and then we had, I think, I think, uh, like what you're gonna do got up to number I don't know, top ten somewhere in you know seven or six or something. Yeah. And he goes, you're famous now. Enjoy it. <laughs> Honestly, it, it was amazing how much work there was, how many yeah. interviews and how many appearances and, how, you know, how many dates and and these fat checks that came through, and, you know, writing huge uh, IRS checks, you know, hating oh. that. Or, yeah. But, you know, our manager always said, hey, if you're making money, you got to pay taxes. Don't worry about it. You're making yeah. money. And, and uh yeah, it was it was an amazing changeover, but it but it followed a chronology that made sense. Uh, you know, we did our first record, we put it out, we got some critical reviews, or uh, you know, good good reviews. There was a song on there called Ocean Breeze.
back in the FM days, mm-hmm. the radio DJs loved it because it was, it was like 11 or 12 minutes long, and they could put it on and not worry about go smoke a joint or, or go, go to the bathroom, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. They, right. Had, they had that amount of time that, you know. And, yep. and so that song got, people heard that song. People, you know, there weren't any hits on that album, but, but that song got, got a lot of attention. And then mm-hmm. the second album, Lifeline, that you mentioned, had um, Zero to 60 and 5 on there, which was an instrumental that all the surfers picked up on. And all of the uh, sports net, networks picked up on it, like uh, ESPN, but which was, was it ESPN back then? Shit. I don't think so. Uh, probably like the wide world of sports and stuff like that. Wide world of sports, right. And for skiing, for freestyle skiing or freestyle skating, people were using that for their for their, oh, their, right. their presentation. And so that song got a lot of attention as an instrumental. So we had this attention as an as a band that could play, you know, that, that mm-hmm. did some real instrumental stuff. Then the third album came out, placed the third album, and we had uh, What You Gonna Do When She Says Goodbye came off of that, and then also mm-hmm. placed the sun. Got attention. Never and, had a love. And, yeah, never had a love like this. And so suddenly we're starting to 
people are starting to perk up to what's Pablo Cruz. Yeah. And, and radio's hearing it, and, you know, we're starting to hear ourselves on the radio. And, and it was an amazing transition. When we hit with what you're going to do, suddenly <clears throat> just everything changed. Yeah. And, and, it, and it was an amazing changeover. I mean, you know, from, from, be, from going to, you know, being really broke and just yeah. struggling to get by, but wanting to play our music, it's living in, you know, we lived in Sausalito, California, and and around the Marin County area. But we, the main thing was we wanted to get together and play and write songs. We didn't even, it wasn't even like we targeted huge success. We just wanted to play music, you know, right. get out and play. Right. And so it, it was a lot of fun to see these things that suddenly the fruition of our work get recognized on radio, you know, and and. And to the yeah. to a wide audience, and people knew the songs. We showed, we showed up to play these concerts, and people were singing the words. Man, it was unbelievable. Crazy, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What was your was first um, like indulgence? Do you remember that first, first big check? First indulgence, that first big check. You did you <clears throat> did you go and celebrate somehow? Did you like you know I've always oh, wanted God. this car. No, you and know so, it wasn't. <clears throat> you know somewhat, but. The checks kind of just started coming. They just did, okay. It was a, a little more and a little more each time. Mm-hmm. But we were just banking it, and then, and then at uh, at one point, our manager said, "You know what? These guys need to buy, buy a house. You need to buy property. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to put some, you got to put your money in a safe investment." And so, so we each did. McCoy and I, being the writers, uh, you know, we were we were seeing. We were seeing a little more money than the other guys, but yeah. at that point, not really. Not, but but it was time to invest, and we were always pretty conservative about. It. We didn't. We weren't. You know, we weren't a hard party band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we were pretty conservative when it came to that. Cool. Okay. And you being from the Bay Area, I imagine were you coming up and hanging out with like the Doobie Brothers a lot? Well, we toured with those guys. Um, <clears throat> And they, but they were down south. They were they were more San Jose and Santa Cruz. Yeah. Okay. So we did a lot of shows with them. We toured with them. We got to know them well. We flew on the Doobie Liner for different shows and uh, you know joined them at the end of the night for listening to the music and it was pretty much a a brotherhood kind of thing and cool. I mean, they're still they're still good friends of ours. I mean after all these years you know we still um, we are we're still on great terms and. Good. And see them now and then. One of the guys in that band, John McPhee, mm-hmm. uh, had a band called Southern Pacific that I that I joined up with. Yep. I was going to ask you after, about after, them in a little bit too. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That was later on. But yeah. John okay. And I, stay in touch. I, I stay in touch with him. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. You. I mean, are you thinking like this is my dream come true? You know, I made this deal with God or whoever. And my parents, I mean, I imagine there's people who, when you're young and wanting to be a professional musician and there's people who are concerned for you, like, well, I hope you can make this happen and we really want oh, to go to college and be I'm, a lawyer, you when know? I did, when I was like 15 or 16, I was just starting to play guitar and I was listening to Bob Dylan and I was amazed by Bob Dylan, right? And I yeah. just loved the sound and the music and the words and I had a picture of him up on my wall and I remember my dad was so concerned that you know, I wasn't doing my homework. I was playing the guitar and, you know, not, you know, singing and playing and learning songs. And he came up, he came in one morning to get me up for school and I was really dragging my ass. And 
and not 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 firing. And he grabbed that picture of Dylan and wadded it up and threw it on the floor. Right? Oh, oh. oh come on! What are you doing that for? And you know, get up and get ready for school. And he and he was really not happy with the fact that I wanted to just play music, right? And just yeah. and I wasn't I wasn't really going after school work and right. a, you know the career seriously or you know who knew at that point yeah. I mean, music had chosen me that was my career but how, how could he, he couldn't know that at that time yeah. but, but then years later he came out to LA I don't know what he was doing out there some conference or something he came into the studio where we were recording in in the in some studio we were at and he was just mind blown and then I remember him at the Tangerine Bowl in Florida, just up the road from where they live. And him and my mom were on stage, and, man, he knew all the words, and he was just mind-blown. We were opening, I think, for Fleetwood Mac or, oh. I don't know, some other huge band. And, you know, there were there were like 35,000, 40,000 people oh. at the Tangerine Bowl, and we're playing for him. He, <laughs> he was a big fan then. But, no way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great yeah. redemption right there. So then, uh, you know, conversely, eventually in the mid-'80s, it all kind of comes to an end. I don't know if – I assume that it comes to an end largely because, you know, styles have moved on. I, I'm guessing by the time MTV comes along and New Wave and punk and all those kinds of things, it's you guys maybe are feeling some – Feeling like you're being sort of lapped culturally, or are you still thinking we can? It wasn't we so got much this? that. Yeah. No, it wasn't so much that. Is Corey and Corey was my writing partner, and he and I, for some reason, weren't communicating on the writing. We weren't being as productive as we had been, and Clearly. so that that yeah that writing thing kind of broke down. And Corey stayed more. I think he may have stayed more involved in what trends were happening than I was. I just wasn't I wasn't really all that interested in the trend change. Although yeah. it did, you know, I mean, punk and grunge, grunge came in and, you know, things change. But I think it was mainly that we stopped writing the songs that, that got us off. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So I think that we just decided to take a break from Pablo Cruz. Oh, and okay. And we just kind of called it quits. And Corey was was already lining things up to go into um, TV music and, and uh, mm. soundtrack stuff. And I was off doing a, a record in Hawaii with a friend of mine. And and, and I played with, uh, if you remember, Buddy Miles. Do you know who Buddy Miles mm-hmm. was? Yeah, I do. Monster talent. Just amazing. Yeah. And so we started playing together. And we had a very fun and soulful band up in the Bay Area that we played cool. out a while, you know, and, and it was just a lot of fun. That's um, and I played around Buddy with Miles, right? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and it, you and he partnered up. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. No, a lot of people don't know that. You know, we, we worked on uh, one of his records together, and I've got a couple songs on one of the, I don't even know if it got released, you know. And then, okay. Um, and then I played with other configurations, and then there was always this other thing bubbling under, which was the conglomerate band with different singers coming coming on board, like the Yacht Rock thing. It's, you know, like they'll have 
this good band, one central band player, and then they'll have different artists that were the singers, you know, come and do their hits. And it's a really fun variety show and a great way to present all the songs. And if the chemistry's right between everybody, it, it all works great. That's I just great. did that down in um, Cabo San Lucas a couple weeks ago with David Pack from Ambrosia. Oh, sure. And Jim, Jimmy uh, uh, Peterick from uh, Survivor. Survivor. Yeah. Uh, Wally Palmar. Uh, He's uh, been out here. I love Wally. The Romantics. From the Romantics. Yeah. And, uh, oh, let's see, who else did we do? Oh, we played in Napa also. Gary Wright was on that show. Oh, I love Gary. And, um, okay. and John Elefante, a great singer here in Nashville, who sang all the Kansas tunes when he oh, sure. And he's really a good singer. And uh oh we and it, and it's a great presentation of all the hits, you know. Amazing. And so I've been doing that over the last I don't know, decade or so or more. Yeah. Uh, and that's always been fun. I used to do a lot of shows with Nick Thomas and Starship. Yeah. Uh, you know, they would have different artists join his band. Okay. We did that for a while. And then uh I did a record with Mickey Hart back in, I don't know, 1993 or four. I don't know. Are you on Planet Drum? I'm not on Planet Drum. I'm on uh, Music Box. But I'll tell oh, you a funny story that. about Mickey Hart. Did you, yeah, your tell listeners, me. Your listeners will dig this. When I was a kid, and, uh, just learning guitar and really just getting started, I was I was like seven, 16 years, I was 17. And I had graduated high school and I was just starting college. I just started going to uh, college in, in Cocoa Beach in um, Florida. And my first term, one of the kids that I was in school with said, hey, my family's moving to California. Do you want to go out with me? I'm going to drive one of the cars. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I'm in, I'm in school. And like uh-huh. I told my parents, I said, I've got this opportunity to go out with my friend Bill to tell her. They said, what? You're crazy. You're going, you're in college. You're going to school now. Right. So, I wrote him a note and left, and I had the free ride out there. I had a guitar, mm-hmm. an Epiphone guitar, and an Epiphone amplifier. I had a suitcase full of clothes. I had $4 to my name, and I didn't have a clue what I was going to do when I got out to California. Well, so we landed in San Bruno after, the I don't know, five days of driving or four days of driving. And, you know, we managed to survive the drive. I don't know how we did it, but he paid for everything, I guess. I didn't have any money. Right. And then I spent one night at their house uh, when we got here. And then the next day, my friend and I went to look at guitars in, in music stores because that's all we cared about. We wandered into a music store in San Carlos called Hart Music Company, owned by a guy named Leonard Hart. And he asked me, I, he, he asked me what I was looking for. I said, oh, I like acoustic guitars. I'm just kind of looking at them, you know. He said, Can you teach? I said, oh, yeah, I can teach. I've been, I'm 17. I've been playing for a year and a half, man. He said, well, he said, let me, let's uh, let's sit down and play me a few things here. You know, he ran uh-huh. me through like a one-minute a one minute audition. He said, fine, you can start tomorrow. Move in with Mickey. Well, that was Leonard Hart. His son was Mickey Hart. No way. And, yeah. And so so Mickey taught thumbs in the store. He had just arrived from from a... I don't know, four or five, six years in the Air Force where he was, you know, rudimental uh, drum champion. And he was also <laughs> the New York State rudimental drum champion before he joined the Air Force. And he was a, he was four years older than me. 
and we had a one-bedroom apartment in San Carlos. And I taught yeah. guitar, he taught drums, and one other guitar player, it was a manager of the store, this, this great guy named Gil Draper that, that uh, I kind of learned the ropes from as far as retail and stuff. And, and, you know, so all day long we'd work in the store, and in the evening, Mickey was a judo champion in, in the Air Force, so in the evenings we'd go to this garage where we had mats set up, and he'd teach me judo. Well, basically what that meant was he'd throw me around the room for about an hour. <laughs> and I'd learn how to fall. Right. So it was an amazing luck, blessing. Kind that of is wild. Out of God's hands kind of thing that as soon yeah. as I got here, I got a job and a place to live. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Now that oh, in man. itself was un- unbelievable. That you is know? unbelievable. Now yeah, did you remain, so did. and he wasn't a Grateful Dead then. He uh, no, so you watched no. you watched him become, you know, this icon when you knew him back yeah. as just Mickey, who used to right. throw you around. So yeah, in the nineties, he called me and said, "Hey, I'm doing a record. Got got Robert Hunter and I've got a couple other guys, Vince Welnick, and uh, want to write some songs." So so we went up and worked at his studio in. Uh, Sebastopol and put together uh-huh. an album and uh, it turned out to be a lot of fun that's great and oh wow yeah yeah very cool Now, I want to know more about Southern Pacific. It seems like, now you, so just to wrap up on the on the Pablo Cruz thing, I mean, it sounded like, would you guys have been able to continue on? I mean, was the, the label wasn't dropping you because of a lack of interest. You guys chose to sort of end the band, it sounds like. Yeah, we just, okay. kind of, we just kind of separated. Okay. Know? Were they, were they pressuring you to make videos? Because, you know, MTV is starting to become a thing now. Are you... Being told you did a to, that's how you videos. know. You did? Okay. We did a video for Love and Find a Way. We did um, oh, a couple I didn't other think songs. I tried to find it. Okay. Love the Way album. We did, a, we did videos on that. And then uh, we didn't have any hits on the... What did we have? We had... Cool Love, I think, was the last hit. A room full of faceless strangers here I am again well, Suddenly my eyes meet yours Looks like I found a friend Warms up as the night wears on We're both feeling good We're gonna take it to the end this time We're gonna find out Find out Find out 
and that was on yeah. Reflector. Yep. That was on the Reflector album, which was produced by Tom Dowd, which in itself was... Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, one of the highlights of my career was working Absolutely. with Absolutely. That guy was amazing, and he had stories, and he was just, just a really cool guy. And I just feel really lucky to have worked with him. That's incredible. Uh, but then we did, after that, we did the Out of Our Hands record, and by then it really was Out of Our Hands. So okay. I just kind of said, eh, let's move yeah. on. Yeah. And Southern Pacific mm-hmm. comes along. Do you, I mean, yeah. is it a seamless transition to go into sort of country rock at that point, or country pop? Well, I was always into country music. I was always loving it. I always, I mean, I liked country music a little more country than Southern Pacific was, even. And my, my wife, my wife, uh, Jamie Kyle, always she always says I'm more country than she is, and she grew up in Nashville. Oh, she's, she's not a country artist at all. And, and, uh, yeah. And I really do enjoy country music, but the old stuff. I don't like what I don't. I'm yeah. not a big fan of the, of the new country. Not that it ain't that country to me. So when Southern Pacific, uh, I, I got a call from our from our manager, the same guy Bob, the Pablo manager, and he said, Hey, these guys. You know, McPhee and Keith Knudsen, they got this band called Southern Pacific, and they're looking for a singer. Their singer's quitting. Do you want to go down on an audition? I said, yeah, why not? And so I flew down to L.A., and they had a rehearsal room set up, like, uh, in one of the great studios down there, and they had video cameras set up, and they were doing the cattle call kind of auditions, you know, mm. with different singers dropping by. Not cattle call, but just specified. Sure. Assembly line, Yeah. So I, I went in and I learned, you know, a couple of the songs before going down and then went in and did it for them, you know, you know we all played. And mm-hmm. and then they said, okay, well, thanks, we'll call you. And I'm thinking, all right, yeah, probably won't hear from them. Mm-hmm. And then another friend of mine was was in right after me, <laughs> and we had to fly <laughs> home together. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I don't know if you ever, in your travels, ever heard of a band called Clover from the sure. Bay Area? I uh, just talked to Alex Call uh, about a month well, ago. Well, that's who it was. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. He had to follow. No way. That's and he hilarious. Wasn't happy about it. Isn't that funny? That is so well, funny. You know Alex. Was yeah. he in Canada? Where was where was he? He was. Oh, that's a good question. He, I think, had just gone back to Canada from Nashville. Oh, okay. Because I don't see him around here anymore. I just wonder where he is. Yeah, he um his. I can't remember. I think he splits his time between the two, or his girlfriend lives in one place and he lives right. in the his other. Right, his girlfriend lives up north and he comes back down here. So. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I just talked to him yeah. about a month ago. When you were talking about well, anyway, Fee, so, it reminded so me of after, him because they were in Clover together. Right, and they're working on re-releasing some Clover stuff. So, cool. uh, yeah, Alex has followed me on the audition. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I got the gig, and, and, and so we took off from that point and started doing shows and recording Zuma, which was a really good record. You watch the sunset on the highway Headlights shining at the moon The evening dropped aside
had two number one singles on that, and a number. Then the highway got up to number five or six, and there was there was one station in the Midwest in in uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, that didn't go on it because they thought it was too rock and roll and not country. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no right. way. Yeah, so look at it now. Uh, yeah. So was Stu Cook in the band when you were in there? Oh yeah. 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 He's been on here too. I interviewed him. Oh, salty Stu. He's a salty he, dog, isn't he? He was. That was. That was one of the most amazing interviews I've done because he and I didn't even ask or probe. He just he unleashed on Fogarty basically. I mean, in a very oh, no uh, in a very professional way, not in a right. dramatic you know, gossipy kind of way, just very straightforward. Right. Here are the facts. This is what it's like yep. dealing with John, and this is what we're up against. It was the most yep. incredible interview, I think, one of the best we've done because of how open and honest he was. It was explosive. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't hold back. No. He was here yeah. with CCR uh, this summer, and I got to meet him and say hello and stuff. So, yeah, I loved him. Yeah, I haven't talked to him in a while. I'd like to give him a shout one of these days. Yeah. I don't even know if I have his number anymore. Uh, I probably do if you borrow it. <laughs> um, well, I at least have his email. I know that. So, okay. So Southern Pacific, I mean, was there was there like a lean period? You know, you go from a pretty successful rock band that, you know, carries on until 86 or so, and then you go in, you transition into this country rock band that's, having some success as well. That lasts a couple more years. It seems like with sort of the dawn of the 90s, though, uh, I mean, are you, do you still have other projects that are just as exciting as the ones you have left behind, or does it... No, I wasn't, it wasn't. No, I was working on songs. You know, I was always writing and recording at my, my house, you know, and then playing with different people around the Bay Area, and then going okay. out and playing those Voices of Classic Rock Got kind it. of you know, okay. tour or shows, and you know, I stayed busy enough, but but it's not like being on a, in a touring band where you're constantly on it. You've got your yeah. your mates that you're you know you're working with all the time. Yeah. No, nothing matches that. I mean that those those days, you know, that was a that was an amazing time, and it was an amazing position to be in in life to be in a rock band during the you know the seventies, eighties, and nineties. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Even just part of it, you know, it was, it was all of it was just incredible, yeah. you know, to have I, that kind I, of notoriety. Did you guys, um, I feel like you probably did, did you guys ever perform on like Solid Gold or American Bandstand? We did a Bandstand twice, we did Kirsten's Rock Concert, I think we did Solid Gold, but I can't remember if we did or not. I there was like a lot of TV have. back then. Yeah. We did a lot of TV. Okay. Are there any fun stories that relate back to... TV appearances, any, you well, know? I, yeah, you know, probably a couple, but one of them, uh, uh, you know, everybody always asked who, you know, who was Pablo. Yeah. They always said the one, the one in the middle, because there's four guys, there's, there's really nobody in the middle. But Dinah Shore asked that, who's Pablo? <laughs> the one in the middle. But we, we were doing, uh, I don't know if you're, you're too young to remember a show called Mike Douglas. I we were doing, the, yeah. Mike Douglas was a, was one of those, variety shows in the afternoon um, that had several guests on. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys that was on at the time was the guy, uh, Carl Weathers, that played Apollo Creed in the Rocky sure. movie. Uh-huh. 
what a guy. What a positive, just uplifting yeah. kind of character. And we were all kind of heading out to dinner out of the hotel. I think it was the night of the show. And and he was walking in. He said, where are you guys going? Said, well, we're going to dinner. He says, I'll come with you. <laughs> he just invited himself. And yeah. we had a great time just hanging out with him. You know, it was just a lot of fun. Whoa. Uh, Let's see. Oh, uh, uh, one of the things that I remember about doing uh, the Dick Clark show was how amazing that guy could turn it on, turn it on, and turn it off. Really? When, like how? When when he was on camera, you know, talking to the uh-huh. camera and talking to America, he was just so on and so friendly and so all American and so good and so cool. As soon as the camera was off, he was going. All right, you kids, line up over here and be quiet, you know. And like he was just like a a a, a tyrant. With, really? Oh my God! Trying to deal with all these kids that were dancing, you know, all these, you know, high school kids. Yeah. Yeah, he was just he was just a different guy. And then all of a sudden, the red light would go on. Hey, America, what's going on? And here we are. The Pablo Cruz, all smiles, and you wouldn't know. It was just great watching him work. He just knew what to do. Oh, um, Dinah Shore was as nice a woman as I've ever met. She was just the sweetest thing. Really, really cordial, really nice, yeah. And Merv Griffin was great. I've heard good things about Merv Griffin, too. Oh, he was fantastic. Merv Griffin, he, knew, he did his homework, and he, and his team did the homework, and, and he just made you feel so special. I mean, it was great. And we just had a great time doing his show. He was just wonderful. But yeah, the whole that whole Pablo Cruz experience was definitely one of the highlights of my life. Good, sure. good. And it lives on still. I mean, to some degree, right? You guys are able to play shows throughout the summer and keep the songs alive, and there's an audience for it. Oh yeah, and, uh, that's great. oh my god, yeah. People people still turn out, and now they bring their kids. And I'll yeah. tell you, one of the greatest things is to have the kids come to you after a show. You know, anywhere from 12 to to uh, 18, and go and and come up to you after a show and and, and say, oh, "You guys rocked, man! You guys were awesome." <laughs> I mean, you know, and yeah, you know, here we are in our 60s and and plus, and yeah. we're rocking these teenagers. You know, that's amazing. That's, that's kind of cool. For you, you deserve it. Oh yeah, you totally deserve it. Yeah. Now, do you want to set the fun. record straight on what Pablo Cruz? Why you named yourself that? And I know that's probably the question you get most often. Every I've been researching this, and I see yeah. I saw in one interview where it was you said it came from an LSD trip, which it seems may be true, but I also feel like you've told so many fake stories that, that could just be one of them. I don't know, but is it? Because uh, I I don't know if Pablo Pablo Cruz. I never knew if that was a guy, or like if that's a state of mind. Where, where did this yeah. come from? Well, truthfully, in the old days, we were so concerned about our squeaky clean image that we always said, well, Pablo's a common Spanish name, so that's kind of like an everyman commonality. We call it, you know. And then cruise is like our lifestyle. It's what we're kind of trying to do is cruise and not take more than our share and kind of, you know, just kind of groove and get along and bullshit. Uh-huh. Pablo Cruz came out of an LSD trip. That was real? <laughs> and it, Yeah. It wasn't a banned LSD trip, although there there were back then banned LSD uh-huh. trips. We we took a lot of acid back then. But at this particular time, it was just our keyboard player and this friend of ours named Joaquin, who, when they were 
when they were high, they were tripping on on acid, and they made up names for each other. And one of them was Pablo Cruz. And uh, so then afterward, down the road, when we were trying to name the band, Corey said, hey, what about that name that we came up with when we were tripping? What about Pablo Cruz? I said, yeah, let's just call it that. And, and uh, <laughs> so that's what we stuck with. And, you know, whatever you call it, you got to make the name. you got to turn it yeah. into something. Sure. You call it the Red Dents, and nobody knows until you, you know, right. turn it into something great. But right. so it seemed to work. But then there was this aura of of uh, escapism that came mm-hmm. along with the name, and and it certainly worked for us because, you know, we we were into that. We were into the Hawaiian, mm-hmm. you know, getaway kind of culture and the island thing and sailing and. You know, it all kind of came together in that escapism thing, and so I, you know, it was a it it was meant to be. It was lucky. It was planned. It was unplanned. It was just it just kind of happened. Yeah. You know? Okay. Okay. I've always yeah. wondered that about because you got you know you guys are famous for the Hawaiian shirts and the you know the mustaches and the really laid back sort of vibe, and I didn't know if they went hand in hand, if one was a byproduct of the other, if they were you know, calculated, or if that was a real kind of true... You know, it, was calcu- it wasn't really. I can't say it was calculated. But it was... It was um, once we once we kind of hit on what we were, we certainly sure. ran away. Well, who wouldn't? Uh, I mean, if you, could, if you could form a successful persona as a band that enjoys the sun and the beach and chilling out, why wouldn't you play that card for the rest of your life? Right. You know what I mean? Like what's yeah. the harm in that? So, Why not? Okay. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, uh, and it hit. I mean, it definitely hit. I mean, we saw. I remember seeing Mork and Mindy. Remember that TV show? Yeah, oh yeah. And there was a Pablo Cruz. There was a Pablo Cruz poster or an album cover or something on the wall. You know, I mean, it would really? pop up here and there. It was yeah, really something. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the song you had in the Dreamer soundtrack. I actually. Oh, wow. I watched that movie recently. It was on TV. In fact, I think it was. I think I saw it just a couple of months ago, right around the time I reached out to you. And I'm listening, I'm watching the movie, and the opening credits come on, and I'm like, I feel like I know this song or this band. Who is this? Right there, Pablo Cruz. Reach for the top. <laughs> That's it. Yes. That's it. All of my life, I have.
And you know what's funny? Not long after we did that song, Corey and I were in, in a, I think, Jerry Kelly in L.A. or one of the places, one of the delis, you know, on Ventura. And we're sitting there, and who comes in and sits down in the booth next to us? Tim Matheson, somebody. No way. And he looks over, and I say, hey, hey, Tim, right? Yeah? We just did the music for your movie. Uh, Dreamer, he says, oh, wow, shitty movie, great music. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's the only movie I can think of about bowling, other than uh, Kingpin with Bill Murray. Yeah, there's not a lot of bowling movies out there. Well, cool. Not a lot of bowling movies. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I don't know how cinematic that is. That was uh, kind of oh, a fun song, you know. It was. It was I like that Pablo song. Sound. Sure. Real sound. Yeah. yeah, it had that. It had that Pablo sound to it for sure. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Um, okay, last two questions. I want to know number one: if you have any regrets, if there's any, if there's a decision that you did, you made along the way that altered things in such a way where if you hadn't done the one thing something may have turned out differently or better. And it's okay if you don't have any. A lot of people I talk to don't. But then I just oh. want to know what your taste is. I bet there's a lot of people is. that you talk to that, that may have had some regrets that don't want to admit them. That's probably true, yes. Yeah. That's probably true. You know, as far as as far as far regrets, you know, there, I'm sure that I've got some. But one of them, one of them that, that does stand out to me is that, you know, you don't get a you don't get a, a, a lot of opportunities at, at capturing the brass ring. Mm-hmm. You know, it it just for a lot of people in this life, you don't get the opportunity. But when you do get that opportunity, you got to jump on it. You got to run with it. You got to run with it like crazy, like it's the last race that you could ever run. When I look back on stuff, the only thing that I wish I'd have done, I wish I'd have known a little more about what songwriting meant and what it and and what the hard work of songwriting meant and I wish I had worked a little bit harder at the actual um process of songwriting because huh. I, I think I know more about it now and I, I wish I had known a little more about it then because I, I just wish I had worked a little harder at the whole process of songwriting. You know? Now, now let me of, ask you but do you feel that way because you think your songs would have been better? Or there would have been more, or you would have had more uh, success, or you would have I think been as good as you would are have been now sooner. Yeah, I think all of that. I think I would have okay. been. I would think I would have been a more involved player, writer, singer, and I just wish I'd have worked a little bit harder at, at what I was doing. Hmm. That's the only thing. Okay. Because you know the uh, that whole escapism lifestyle that we represented. Represented. Yeah. I was kind of living that too. Oh. And it's like, I, I was kind of escaping from from what I should have been doing, which was yeah. you know really buckling down and working at it. Yeah. So I wish I'd worked a little harder. That's that's my one okay. regret, you know, and that's okay. why I you know continue to to work at it now. You know, I I enjoy doing it, and uh, I don't know. You just gotta once you get once you get the door open, you gotta you gotta fucking push your way through. And, yeah. And, you know, so what's your outlet now for new music? I mean, do you, Pablo Cruz doesn't put out music. You don't do solo albums. Does it go to Jamie? Where does that? I'm, uh, where does that? Yeah, I'm working on. Oh. Well, right now, you know, the live. You know, when Jamie and I do our concerts, we've got acoustic presentations of new songs that we do. But I am, 
in the process, a slow process, but I am in the process of putting out my own record. And I okay. and just to get it, just to chronicle my song. I've sure. got to get it done before I, before I, you know, before too long here. I've got to get it. I want to get it, you know, down. Yeah. So there's that, and hopefully I'll, you know, get off my lazy ass and get to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I want to know what your favorite memory is. The thing where you're just like, I can't believe this happened to me. You were talking a minute ago about how great those Pablo Cruz days were. Maybe it takes place then. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's hearing yourself well, on the I'll radio. Well, I'll tell you, one of the, I have some, some great memories, but it's not so much. I, I guess it came as a result of, of Pablo Cruz, but like, there's a, anything having to do with Hawaii is a great memory for me. And I've, and I've spent, been to Hawaii at least 25 times. And, and I've, at least, I mean, shit. I used to be over there all the time, yeah. and uh, I I just love that. But another great memory is a friend of mine was a, was a cameraman for Channel Seven in the Bay Area, and he lined up this documentary in the South Pacific to go uh, do an underwater uh, documentary of sunken ships in in a place called Truck Lagoon, an atoll forty miles across in deep in the South Pacific and he asked me to go along to do lights. And so I did and I was you know, I'd I'd been diving enough times to know what I was doing. But we dove on wrecks from fifty feet to two hundred and twenty feet deep. And I just lit up everything he was shooting. And we had a couple of reporters that went along and we did a really amazing documentary that was on Channel Seven and on A B C that that you know, still in the archives, but it but it ran for a while and Cool. For me, that was the most one of the most exciting that that, that week of dive. That was just incredible. And I had another couple of adventures with the same guy in the Monterey Bay, diving in the Monterey Bay. And then uh, great surf trips. I've had amazing surf trips down in Central America with some buddies of mine. And but as far as musical experiences, I I'd have to say the most fun that I ever had in music was on the USO tours with. Kansas, Cheap Trick, Doobie Brothers. Um, who else was on that? Uh, there were some other guys that went. I did okay. two different tours. I had just a lot of great experiences on the USO tours, just playing for the military. That's that great. was in 80, 1984, 1986. And then in, ni- in 2010, my wife and I went to Iraq and played for the troops in Iraq with uh, Bill Champlin from Chicago and Bobby Kimball from Dakota. Yeah. Had a band that we actually used Bill's band and went over there and played for those guys and that was an amazing experience. Incredible. So I've had some great travel with music. It's yeah. been an amazing life. Yeah, yeah, no regrets. But maybe That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well Dave, uh thanks for talking to me, man. I have had a fascination for you guys for for you guys since I pieced together the songs and the band and who was doing what. So I hope one day I'm able to. I'm in the place where I can see you guys live because I You'll love, love it. Pablo Cruz. It's a great I'm band. Sure, I will. I'm sure. So thank you. And so you're much in Colorado, for to me. right? I am. I'm in Denver. Yeah. Oh, you have a six five zero number. Yeah, I grew. I lived in the Bay Area for a while, and I've just never changed my cell phone because these days it doesn't really matter anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we'll probably. I'm sure we'll we'll get to the, your neck of the woods. I mean, okay. we're out playing shows. We got to book Denver. We got to come. Oh, please! 
I'll, I mean, I'll keep, I'll keep my eye out, and if I'm, if we're ever in the same place, I'll make sure to come see Pablo Cruz because I, uh, okay. I love you guys. There you have it, David Jenkins. I love that. I thought he was great. Really interesting guy. And then how they came up with Pablo Cruz as a name, that was insightful. And I loved hearing the names of guests of the show come up, like Walter Egan and Stu Cook and Alex Call. That was fun. By the way, this right here is one of my favorite Pablo Cruz songs. This is I Don't Want to Live Without It. It was one of their hits. Uh, they have one of those, and this goes for a lot of bands, they have one of those Universal uh, Greatest Hits collections, 20th Century Remaster Millennium collections. You know what I'm talking about? They're white and silver, very reasonably priced. Pablo Cruz has an excellent one of those. If you're new or want to start with Pablo Cruz, that's a great place to begin and then kind of go from there. They have a lot of great hits on that one. Uh, let's see, I already kind of gave the, the secret away of who next week's guest is on our episode with John Oates last week. It's Burley Drummond, drummer for Ambrosia. We're doing, we're gonna be kind of finishing up this sort of string of like, you know, soft rock of the 70s or however you wanna classify it. So come back next week and that's who we're gonna hear from. I am speaking to you from a field next to the Airbnb that I'm staying in and I can feel mosquitoes eating my feet. So I'm gonna go. But uh, you know the deal by now, uh, you can like our page. You can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And send me a message if you want of someone you'd like to see on the show. I'll get back to the requests and the reviews and all that kind of stuff next week. Also, huge thanks, as always, to my buddy, Jan the Man Makiewicz, for putting everything together. Thanks, gang. We will talk to you next week.